and ride with me in my foul life. You have another new shirt on today, huh? I do. Executive chef. You, uh, is, you need to get your own line of merch going, man. These are somebody else's merch that I that I just order. Yeah, that's what you were saying last time. So what's going on, man? You've been kick, cooking your ass off or what? Yeah, we just finished up the season. We uh, ended up with our food and wine event, which was uh, on Saturday. So we did a five-course meal with wines. It was a lot of fun. What was the video you sent me? That was um, smoked shrimp. So it was a shrimp cocktail. On the plate was deconstructed cocktail sauce. So it was ketchup, uh, shredded, fresh horseradish, lemon juice. And then we put the glass over the shrimp, and then I put smoke up into it. So when you pull the glass over off, the smoke will fall down onto the shrimp. Wow. So that was the first course. How'd it taste? Awesome. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was very lightly, like, I, there wasn't a heavy smoke. It was just enough to add a little tiny flavor element to the to the shrimp, but it looked cool. Did you guys have a good turnout? Um, not that big. You know, we did like 15 or 20, and it, it wasn't like uh, uh, massive. It's a slow time of year around the area, so, you know, it, we had fun doing it. Did it, So it's uh, it's done through the Trapper's Landing, and, and, and yep. it's kind of like your guys' is- you don't shut down this time of year now, do you? You stay open yeah. for ice fishing and all that? No, we shut down for um, uh, for the next couple of weeks. We'll close the place down, and then for the month of December, except for functions and stuff, we'll be shut down until the ice comes in. Until the ice comes in. Does it get pretty busy around there during ice fishing season? Um, not bad. Not near what it is in the summer. You know, because we we only have the dining room open, so we do quite a bit with the fishing guys that that come in and out, but not. Not anything like summertime. Nothing like summer. So, uh, as a whole, uh, was it a was it a strong summer, average summer, or what? No, it was a strong summer, stronger than last year too. Nice. You know, we got things more dialed into better service. Um, we were really on top of what we did. You know, we had another body in the kitchen, which helped immensely. And um, you know, we finally have people calling to say, "Hey, what is the special?" Instead of just people showing up and saying, "You know, hey, what's going on?" But so they're actually looking to see what's what's happening before they come. We got some great reviews in in on uh, Facebook and Google. So you know it's, it went well. So give me some ideas, Chef Mark Lindsay. What have you been cooking a bunch of? Have you been you've been doing a lot of uh, any new beef dishes? Well, our brisket's probably the number one seller. We forty eight hours sous vide our brisket, and so that's probably our huge seller. Things we're working on, we're going to do wild game chili for the off season. So that'll be great. Um, we get a, a venison uh, wackapi blend and then a bison, ground bison. We'll blend those two together and make a chili out of it. Probably serve it on a caribou hot dog. So we'll have a choice of you can do chili cheese fries or you could do a chili dog, chili caribou dog with wild game um, chili on it. So that'd be pretty good. So, so give me an idea and let, uh, uh, the rundown of how this chili will be prepared. Um, basically we, you know, we brown, the brown the beef off. We'll add, uh, you know, regular kidney beans, tomatoes, a little tomato paste to give it a little body, chili seasonings. Um, might throw a little fresh, uh, jalapeno in there just to give it a little zip, some onion. Um, and so, you know, it's not like super, super, uh, crazy stuff in it. 
Um, goes on a caribou dog, which is is a, a little different hot dog, pretty tasty. So pretty much uh, we'll cook it down for an hour or two, and uh, it'll be ready to rock. And what, what is the difference? There's beans in chili, or there are not beans in chili? Normally, they're, they're kidney beans in chili. Some people put, there's a couple different beans you could do it. Sometimes I've made it with black beans. Sometimes I've used um, a white bean if I'm making white chili. So it just kind of depends on the chili I'm making. Also, people have bought beans that already have some chili seasoning in it. But I'm more about putting my own seasoning in it than I would uh, um, having somebody else put their, you know, whatever seasonings they want to put in it. Do you want spiciness when you have a chili? I mean, I know some people do, but when you're serving at a restaurant, you kind of want to keep it mild. I yeah, I want it to be more medium. I want it to be like I want you to feel a tiny bit of heat on your tongue, but not. I don't want it to burn all the way down, and you know. So, I, I, especially in Minnesota, you know, we're Minnesota nice. We're not down in Texas where they got to have it on fire. Yeah, the meats that you're going to put in there. One was ground, and what was the other one? There was a venison. No, they're both ground. One is a, a venison wackapee blend, and then the other one is uh, ground bison. Ground bison. God, it sounds good. It's too early to be talking like this. <laughs> well, I was thinking of doing chili for lunch now that we're talking about it, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so when you say for lunch today, will you have a crowd in there for lunch? Are you talking no, about just we're for closed today. I meant for my own lunch. You're just talking about for your own lunch. Yeah. No, we're cl we're closed down. This weekend was the, the last hurrah for a while. It is super quiet up here. You know, the leaves are off the tree now, and, you know, people, kids went back to school, so it's pretty quiet around here. Yeah, I can't believe it's already been that long since I've been up there. It's been two months already. Crazy. Yeah. You've been out hunting a lot. Yeah, I've been doing, I've been all over the country already. I mean, I went over, all the way from Texas to Tennessee to Ohio to New upstate New York for 20 days. And then I went to the city. The The food in New York City is amazing. Have you been? Yeah, I have. Um, I went to chef school there, which was 70 miles north of the city. So I got down a couple times there, but I've been back once or twice. It's, it's every time you go, it's phenomenal. Any, any big city's just got those, you know, cool, they're all so different. You know what I mean? It's not like you got the same old stuff over and over and over. They're all just, you know, they're super creative people there. Yeah. And I know that it's expensive because it's New York city and they got to pay the lease bills and the rent, they got to pay the rent as they say the rents do, but man, there, there's just so much culture and food and passion in the food there. From yeah. the the pizza, the Thai food, the 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 steakhouses, the Italian restaurants. Obviously, there are some you know touristy places, but even the touristy places have great chefs at them that are that, that are cooking very very good you know a traditional Italian cuisine that I really liked. And Little Italy's amazing. Chinatown's got amazing food, and it's so authentic that you're just you just you just don't see that in a lot of places, at least where I travel. Yeah, no, you definitely don't because it's, it's, you know, it's so hard to get the, and there's so many of that caliber chefs in that town. Yeah. You just, know, that, that just does all their natural stuff. Like, I love eating Chinese food at a restaurant that's actually, you know, run by guys who are just doing some authentic stuff. It's really tasty. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there's, there was a place where I went up to Syracuse and there was even a place there um, that was very authentic Asian food and just, you can tell the difference. It's not heavy breading. It's not deep fried with a bunch of sweet sauce. 
you know, you get a lot of the, yeah. the Americanized Chinese food now. It's just breaded pork or breaded chicken, um, you know, and then they deep fry it with the breading and then they pour a sauce or they, they toss it in some kind of marmalade or sauce or, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's not really what, how Chinese, I mean, there are, are some of that over there, but it's for the most part, the stuff that we were eating at the restaurants in New York was, was just dead on and just flavorful as heck and just creative and unorthodox. Awesome, awesome culture in New York and New York City. Yeah. And they were, they were mostly smaller restaurants, right? Yeah, a lot of them are real small. Yeah, because that way, I mean, like for me, it, I love it because ours is small enough that I can really do some really nice stuff and don't have to worry about mass producing it for 150 people. Yeah. You know, I do like 30 specials and we're out of those 30 specials. That, you know, that's it. And when we do our food and wine event, you know, uh, it's a small group, so we can really concentrate on doing some cool stuff. We had uh, A5 Carpaccio, which was awesome. Uh, we had a dual uh, tenderloin. So we had a, a venison tenderloin and a haluka pork tenderloin. Uh, haluka pork is like a humanely grown uh, pork product. Um, and those are the dueling tenderloins. And then we did it with like a, a charred bone marrow and some nice veg and some pretty cool sauces. But, you know, you can take your time doing the plating and stuff like that. Where if you're doing it for 50 or 60, you can do it. Charred bone marrow. Yeah. So you're taking, are you actually taking the round and you're, you're browning that and preparing that where they're digging that out of there? Or how do, how yeah. are you doing? We it? get them actually split like a canoe. So you can order them both ways. So I like my split so they can really dig it out of there. So we bake them off to get it warm. And then right before it goes out, I throw a torch on it. So it's really bubbling and stuff when it goes out. And so you can dig the marrow right out. And how, how do you season the marrow? Do you, or is it a marinade or what? Uh, I don't season it at all. Maybe a little salt and pepper. Cause it's got so much beef flavor in it that it doesn't really need just the char adds so much great flavor to it. And when they're done with it, all that's laying there is a canoe shaped white bone. Yep. Oh man, I want to do this. So you bake them at what? Tell me this. You take them, you take them and lay them on a cookie sheet and just bake them off or. Yeah. And definitely you want to do it on something that'll hold the, the bone up. You know what I mean? Cause they're kind of rolling and stuff. So a lot of times we'll put like either rock salt or something on the pan that we're cooking on. So they'll sit straight up. Cause you don't want all the stuff to ooze out of there. And then um, we bake them probably usually it was around 375 and we just did it for like 10, 15 minutes just to, you know, get it hot in there. And so then when it came out, I would just touch the top with a torch. If I had a regular, you know, overhead broiler, I probably would have thrown them on the broiler for a second. But we don't have one, so we just did it with the torch. You just do it with the torch. But it's like it's bubbling when it goes out. You know, it's it's looking looking fantastic. Do you sell a lot of these when it's on the menu? I don't have that one on the menu. That was just for the food and wine event. And did people react very well to it? Yeah, they really thought it was cool because it's you know a lot of stuff we did you can't get anywhere, like at least around here. Uh, we did an A5 uh, uh, carpaccio, which is just a thinly sliced piece of tenderloin raw on the plate with extra virgin olive oil and 20-year-old balsamic, a little salt and pepper, arugula to put on some toast crostinis. But it was the A5, like when you looked at it, it was half fat and half beef. That's how great this A5 was. I'll send you. I'll send you some pictures of the the stuff that we did for the event. How about you just send me some? The marbling is just 
Huh? Yeah. Just just I'll overnight stop. me just overnight me some of the carpaccio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I was gonna do. <laughs> and, um on that carpaccio, you're serving it a hundred percent raw, so it's like tartare yeah. or what is well, um tartare is ground. And this okay. is just a super thin slice. So I slice it super thin and then I pound it out between two pieces of uh acetate or two pieces of film and then uh pull it off there and then lay it on the plate. So there's three very small pieces uh, on the plate with a little um, micro arugula in the middle. And then just season it with, you know, we did, I have a four blend uh, pepper blend that I use. So it's freshly cracked and then um, a flaky salt. Um, there's a crystal flake, flake salt. And then um, the balsamic vinegar you need really to cut because the uh, A5 is super fatty. So if I would have used regular tenderloin, it wouldn't have been as fatty. So you might get a little more of the beef part of it, but the A5 just looked beautiful. Like every time I see A5, I'm gonna like cry, but it's that that great. Um, and so uh, it was it was fantastic. Yeah, so it's raw. So is it harder for somebody to get through that bite when that A5 is full of so much fat? Nope, cuts like butter. So but is it, if but you is were to cook it, the is, A5, so if you cook the A5, the, the fat inside is melting. And so it makes it like, you know, you could use a butter knife literally to cut it, unlike a steak where it's more solid meat. But the flavor is just so much. Like when you start, like we eat a lot of Wagyu at the place because I have it on the menu all the time. But the difference between American Wagyu and the A5 in Japan is just incredible. Big difference. Yeah. Uh, when we're done here, I'll send you a few photos of the difference of the two. You'll go, holy crap, what the? And this is tenderloin. So normally when you look at a tenderloin, you cut a tenderloin open on a deer, there's like no fat. You know what I mean? It's just solid, dark meat. Where this, think about 50% fat, 50% meat. That's almost the, the ratio when you look at an A5 tenderloin, you go, wow. It's incredible. When you, the A5 though, is it a real, now you personally, I, I, when I eat Wagyu, it's very rich. It's very hard right. for me to eat. Like you don't need a lot of A5 or even American nope. Wagyu to have a complete meal. A, a couple bites will do you is my point. Right. Yeah. Normally when I do A5, we only serve four ounces. Um, uh, we could do say, but plus two things. One, I can keep the price reasonable, but people still get the experience of the A5. So that's cool. When I do the American Wagyu, normally six ounce is what I do. We've done bigger, like if I do a ribeye or New York strip or something, we might serve a larger portion, like a 10 ounce or something like that. But it's more than enough. It is super rich. So personally, do you enjoy eating Wagyu over just a, like, let's say a prime steak? If you had your choice, of an A5 ribeye, are you automatically picking it if, if you're going to have a meal? Or do you just kind of look at it more of, as an appetizer? No, I, I, like a, I like a piece of Wagyu. Uh, I really like a New York strip because I like my steak a little more uh, firm, I guess, when I cut it. You know, the ribeye's good, but I like the New York strip. It really holds that flavor. and It's like eating a steak and it holds a char really well. So I'm, I'm about, 
when I eat a steak, I want to have a char on it so I get that added bonus of that flavor of the caramelization uh, caused by the heat on the outside of the steak. That adds to the flavor and the, and the uh, texture of the steak, which is super good. That's why I really like using the sous vide because I can sous vide it and then I can char it really fast, especially like if I'm doing like a tomahawk or something really big. I can have it perfectly cooked inside, but still get a nice char outside without serving a steak raw. So when you when you made a comment in there about firmness, is the is the ribeye gonna have so much fat content into it and it's a, a little bit larger steak to where it gets too flimsy or floppy for your liking? No, not really. I, I like a ribeye. It's just something about a New York strip. I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's 51, six to one, half a dozen the other. The actually better part of the ribeye is the cap on the top. Like if you look at a ribeye, the marbling in the cap is more than the marbling in the ribeye normally. Now, A5, if I were to use a ribeye A5, it has a mount, you know, a fat all through it. But if you're talking just a regular American Wagyu or a regular steak, the top part is super tender. And it's, the middle sometimes can be a little, uh, not as flavorful as the New York strip is consistently all the way through. I guess it's just your personal preference, you know? Okay, so let's stay on the line of steaks here. Um, fillets, they usually have a high price tag on them because of the cut they are, and they're very, you know, as far as limited. They're a limited cut of meat. But a lot of people you hear say they don't have enough fat in them. What's your opinion of a filet mignon? Um, is it the best cut of steak on the steer? Um, and why does it have such a reputation as being top notch is it because of the availability of it and how portioned it is but as far as flavor goes would you say that it's up there with a new york or a ribeye um if we're talking a regular american beef uh the filet you have to do more to it to get the flavor the advantage of the tenderloin is it is the fact that it's super tender to eat so those people who want something that melts in their mouth easy to cut that's it. But normally when I'm doing a tenderloin, I'm not just serving a tenderloin. I'm serving a tenderloin with some kind of sauce because it that's what it's, you know, that's what makes a great tenderloin is, oh, that was a fantastic sauce you put on it. Where if I had a, a really well New York strip, I could just grill it with a little salt and pepper and I would be super happy. So that's the difference. I mean, it's yes. If you look at a regular uh, tenderloin in your grocery store, that's a choice. Um, there's virtually no fat in it, just a little on the trim. So that's the difference between that and the, and the Wagyu. If you really want a filet with flavor in it, then you're going to have to get a Wagyu. And you're talking about going up inside of the, the rib cage where the, where the tenderloin is. That's where it's you're going to get that. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, underneath the spine. That's the, that's the thing is it doesn't move. It doesn't and that's move what makes it so tender. Yeah, so when you're thinking about when you look at it, the whole cow, the parts that don't move are the parts that are better. So like the ribeye is on the back above the spine. So that's why it's tender. Whereas a chuck steak is always moving because the animal's always walking. And that's what makes it more tough. Same with the hind. So the, you know, the tenderloin being tucked up underneath the spine doesn't move at all. That's what makes it so, you know, tender. So a brisket would is on the front part of the cow. Like if you picture a cow's throat, you go straight down to the beginning of his belly. Yeah. Um, 
would that move a lot or is that something is that yeah. why you got to slow cook a brisket because it would be too tough yep and i i do we do ours 48 hours now that's because we cook at a lower temperature for that long a time but what that does is it makes it really great for slicing so when we do our brisket the reason i only do it at 155 the whole time is when i'm done with it and i let it set up and chill and I, then i can run it on my slicer pretty thin and then we do like five to six ounces on our uh brisket sandwich it's a nice sliced brisket sandwich thinly sliced but it's not like if i were to do it in a barbecue pit when it would be done it'd be like 190 or 192 i think is what it is when you're coming it out and you're cutting it it's starting to fall apart that's the only difference it's mine holes together but still you're cooking it for a long period of time unlike you are a steak just because of it's part of the animal that moves and so you got to cook it longer and that's a 48 hour sous vide and then what happens after the sous vide so i let it rest and then we we slice uh we slice it on a slicer and then it gets grilled with our own barbecue sauce and then it goes on uh we top it with swiss cheese and it goes on a bun um and that's probably one our number one seller along with walleye did you get creative at all over the last couple months with with walleye or any other seafoods at, at your restaurant um we've had some some really great high-end fish it's been phenomenal we get what's um called a, a bluefin tora which the tora of a bluefin uh fish is the stomach part and if you cut into it and you look at it it looks like it's a marbling of a wagyu steak that's the fat content of a tuna so normally if you got the loin cut of a tuna you would look at it and be solid red or you know deep a deep red this it's a lighter color red but it looks like it has marbling in it which it actually does so when you you only sear it like just on the outside when you cut it, you can cut it with a fork and it is so tender when you cut it and so much full of flavor, it's, it's phenomenal. The other one we've been using is a Aura King Salmon, which has one of the highest fat content for a salmon. And it's from New Zealand. Um, and I've been making a lot of groblocks out of that one, which is really good. But we did it for a large event where we cooked it off and it was, you know, for something that has a high fat content, you think, oh, it's going to be super oily or super salmon smelling. It was so mild that it was incredible and tender and, and just awesome, light salmon flavor, but not the oily salmon flavor that you would normally uh, put with salmon. You know, normally you cook a salmon, you're like, oh, that's pretty smelly and it's got a little oil content. So the difference is a regular salmon has about 17% fat content. Where or a king salmon has about twenty six percent fat content. Wow, unbelievable! So it's all about the fat. That's what I'm telling you. It's all about the fat content for flavor. For sure. Yeah. When you get when you look at a really good piece of toro, or you know, like when you're in a sushi restaurant, they refer to it as fatty tuna. Um, yeah. And that, it's an expensive bite because because of that. It's 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 it all comes down to you know the obviously the, the demand for it, but the bite is just that much more enjoyable. And that's, I don't know. It's kind of a hard thing to do because of the, the seasonings and the flavoring of the way we eat food. I want your opinion on this chef, Mark Lindsay. I've had this conversation before to where 
you talk about putting, you know, gravies and sauces and stuff on a steak. We have all these condiments that we automatically throw. People want to dip walleye into ketchup or cocktail sauce or tartar sauce. You watch a kid make a hamburger. You're like, man, you don't even know if that burger and cheese would just taste unbelievable just on that toasted bun. It's relish and mayo and mustard and, and barbecue sauce and ketchup and onion rings and avocado and this and that. It's like, okay, yeah. so sushi's the same way. Like I've gotten to the point with my fish to where maybe a dab of, of a, a tiny bit of wasabi and barely no, like really no soy sauce at all. Um, there's, it's just a great experience to get the flavor of the fish. In your opinion, are we masking that flavor in a lot of ways? If you take that Toro and you dip it into sauce, does it enhance the experience? Or are you masking something that, that does not need that conditioned, what I call a conditioned condiment? I think we mask a lot of things because of the quality of the taste of what we're masking. So if I got a regular burger that was just choice beef, I'd probably put ketchup on it. But our burger has, it's a more blend of, uh, uh, it's got chuck, it's got brisket, it's got sh- um, uh, short rib in it. It's a blend of those where it tastes more like you're eating a steak. So I usually only have mine with like an heirloom tomato on it and a bun and salt and pepper. And that's great for me. Same with our Toro. All we did with our Toro was we put a little, uh, two kinds of sesame seed on it, black and white. And then we just seared it lightly. And then we served that on the plate. We offered you a side of a little enhanced soy sauce, which is just added a little few things to the soy sauce. Or we also put a little a, uh, wasabi aioli on the plate, but we didn't put it on top of the fish. So you had a choice. If you want a tiny, and if you put it on there, you only need a tiny. But I want to try it just by the fish itself because it's so good. You I know, agree so, 100%. You know, I, that's why I'm, I'm all about buying, like I would rather buy the super high quality fish and give you, you know, I'm not gonna give you a pound of fish, I'm gonna give you like seven ounces and you're gonna, you're gonna pay a little bit for it, but seven ounces of an expensive fish, you know, it doesn't really cost that much, you know, for, for me to get commercially. So, I mean, like if you get Aura King Salmon, it's like 24 bucks a pound. So then by the time I cut it, it might be 12 or, you know, 10 bucks, my cost. And so now I only have to charge you like 30 bucks or 35 bucks for getting one of the best salmon in the area. Whereas if you go to the store and you get a salmon, you know, they're going to charge you probably that 26, 27, maybe 26 bucks, but you're not getting half the salmon that I'm serving you. Right. Because of the fat content. Yeah. The fat content and and the freshness of our fish, we get it from uh, fortune fish. And usually I call them, and he sends it out the next day, and I get it. So oftentimes, there'll be times he'll call me and say, hey, I don't have any today, but I'll have it tomorrow. I'll send it to you the next day. So I get it off the docks or wherever they're getting it from that next day. Right. You know, so it's super fresh. So so you would say, in conclusion, as far as the condiment comment went, that we, do, we are conditioned to mask our foods from, the, from when we were a little kid all the way through adulthood to where we're taking away the true flavor of something by adding all of this nonsense to, to, to a lot of, now I know that you said, well, if it's just one of these, these law, you know, these big old stacks of 10 burgers that come frozen and you throw them on a, 
on a charcoal grill at yeah. a picnic. Yeah, you're going to map. You can do that, but th- there is a way to experience cooking and the flavor of, of these higher end meats, or even when you're cooking venison or wild game that you don't like. I see a lot of people have to mask the taste of duck by doing a popper. They do, they do the jalapeno with right. the cream cheese, with the, the marinade wrapped in bacon. And I'm like, well, what are you really eating? Like, that's like the, everybody's go-to. And I'm like, well, duck is such a prime meat that to cook it in a, in a, in a charred bacon with a, a crap cream cheese with a jalapeno. Now, can that be good? Yes, it can. If you do it right now, cream cheese, no, for me, no yeah. cream cheese. But my point is, are we just masking what a duck can really potentially do to our palate and the flavor of a duck because of all of that nonsense of what a popper is? Right. I think the, the popper is, you know, if you're drinking a lot of beer, yeah, that's great. If you're true, like I try to do, when we do duck and stuff, normally we do part of it comfy. So you're just cooking it in its own fat, <laughs> really. So you're getting all that flavor on it and warm it. And then, you know, we might do a duck breast. And if we do a duck breast, it's just going to have a light sauce on it. It's not going to have, like, I don't want to cover my whole duck in sauce. I might drizzle my sauce on it to enhance that duck a little bit, but you still want the flavor of the duck to show up. You know what I mean? I don't want to put so much sauce in. Well, the sauce tastes great, but I don't taste any of the duck. So we might use, like, a gastrique, which is like a... a a, a berry puree with uh, vinegar in it. It was really basically what it is. We use balsamic vinegar, which which kind of, so you got that little vinegary and little berry stuff, but it's just drizzled on that duck. So you've got that enhanced it because the vinegar kind of sharpens it up, makes it really tasty. Um, sharpens that duck up. Um, wait, 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 don't, don't, move, don't, move, don't move on there yet, please. Say that again. It's a what vinegar? Um, we actually, when I, I cheat, when I make my, uh, uh, gastric, there's, there's a place where you'd reduce the, the, uh, the sugar and stuff and add vinegar and stuff to it. I take my puree that I have, whatever it is, few puree, like I use blackberry puree a lot. So I just cook my blueberries, blackberries down and puree it. And then I add balsamic glaze to it. And so you get the thickness of the balsamic glaze and the berry part of that on the duck. And so you get that, that, that tart plus the sweetness of that sauce along with the flavor of the duck. So now I've got this great duck flavor with just a hint of berries and the vinegar. So I use vin- the balsamic vinegar for a lot. I put some of mine on my cheesecake ice cream, balsamic vinegar. So like we do strawberries, cheesecake ice cream, a glaze of, or a little string of balsamic glaze just to make it pop. So that vinegar is really making that, making that stuff pop. When you say the, you know, the vinegar enhances the flavor of the duck. As an executive chef and somebody that has a degree in culinary art from the Culinary Institute of America, what du- what is the flavor of duck? How do you describe duck compared to like people are like I love pheasant. Well, pheasant can be good, but it dries out really easily, and you have to be very careful with pheasant, right? Which is the same mindset of duck to where. It's high in oil. It's high in fat. Um, but if you overcook it, it's done as far right. as the flavor profile goes. How would you describe the flavor of duck, Chef Mark Lindsay? 
Boy, that's a tough one to describe, uh, especially you're talking about domestic duck, not wild duck, right? Yeah, well, I I mean, yeah. Because wild I, duck's going to have a little more a little more flavor to it. Right. But they're not going to be bred to be the fattiness that a domestic duck that I would buy have. Okay. Because that is where the flavor is, is the fat. So the tough part is, like, if you go out as a duck hunter, you're normally going to take the skin off, right? Yeah. And you clean it. Well, well, here's the deal is that we we get a lot of a lot of, I guess, ridicule for lack of better terms, because we kill so many birds. Okay. We we're going from camp to camp and we eat everything that we kill. So I show all of these different approaches of butchering and processing. And I take a lot of slack if I'm just cutting, if I spend you know, if I come down and I pull the skin away and then I cut the breast right. and the tenderloin off the bone, yeah. people are like, you're just ruining the duck. And I get that. I love skin on. I love rendering. I love confit. I love duck right. fat for other things and keeping it and freezing it. I love the crispy skin of a speckle belly goose or a mallard right. duck with a reverse sear. But a lot of times I will just cut the meat out and do enchiladas with it or I'll do taco with it or I'll ground it, right. whatever it is, to where the skin is not needed. They don't know that we're taking that fat and that skin and doing rendering with it to, to freeze for other recipes. They're right. like, why aren't, why aren't you eating the legs and why aren't you doing this? And I'm like, yeah. because we killed 40 of them today and I'm not going to do that with everyone. I was just showing you guys a simple recipe. My point is, is I feel that the skin on is the only way to get the full flavor of a duck. You know, if you're right. going to cook, cook it as a steak, you know, steak serving, like that, like yeah. we're going to slice it with the medium rare and the raspberry. Right. I love the skin on. So to answer your question, yes, we do take the skin and fat off on a lot of our recipes. But if we're going to do a traditional like serving of a steak, I'm going to keep the skin on. And whether you use a reduction sauce or not, I'm, I'm going right. to have that bite with the, the crispy skin on. Yeah, because I know a lot, a lot of hunters are like, that's too much to get all the feathers off. So that's why they, they just take the breasts. And I can understand that part when they're wearing out their hunting. The only reason I like the skin is it not only enhances the flavor, but it protects the meat from the direct heat, which dries out. So we get a lot of pro uh, pheasant that has like no skin or anything on it that we cook. So that we have to handle in the sous vide just to keep it from drying out. That's what I always think about is the skin is not, not you know, yes, it enhances a lot of flavor, but it also hand, uh, protects the item when you're cooking it. So same when you had the walleye at our place with the skin on it, it not only added flavor, but if you put the deep fryer on both sides, then you're drying that food out on both sides where one side now with the skin on is being protected from that heat a tiny bit. So it's keeping that moisture more in than if you had no skin on it and you cooked it, it would dry it out more. So that's why I'm more about the skin of protecting me of the cooking thing and adding to the flavor, not necessarily, uh, you know, I don't care if you you clean it with the skin on or skin off. I'm when I when I'm thinking about it, that's what I do. But I can understand hand, hunters. I remember going into the woods and saying, "Okay, we're just gonna pull the skin back and grab the breasts out of there, and we're done." But but I mean, there is something to be said about that. But we we pluck the feathers a lot. Whether we do a like a speckle belly yeah. goose, um, you know, there's commercial processors in a lot of like historic or that have a, a strong duck hole, duck hunting, goose hunting, um, 
history around it. So there's a lot of pluckers around that you could take them to. A lot right. of outfitters, a lot of outfitters that you go hunting with will offer this service. So if I have an opportunity to have 30 spec, because you in California, you can harvest 10 speckle belly geese per man per day. Okay, you wow. can have 30 in your possession. This is the best tasting waterfowl there is, is a rice-fed speckle belly goose, in my opinion. So we full bot we full body pluck almost every single one of them. And Great. we 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 we'll do beer can chicken style with them. We'll do uh, a whole bunch of different smoking with them and charring and grilling and stuff like that. Um, yeah. great, great presentation. It's real pretty. That skin chars up and browns up really, really well. But yeah, you yeah. can rip the skin back and take the the, the meat off. I just like yeah. to say that I like to say that not everybody's the same. Not every recipe is right. the same. So just be kind of careful when you're judging somebody of like, well, you don't know that the day before this, we plucked 30 of these things and we're eating them. We try to show all different kinds of approaches and recipes, right? So I don't want yeah. people to think you have to pluck every wild duck that you kill. But back to my original question is that flavor profile then, I know that you get more flavor and that you have a chance of getting some gaminess in a wild duck, but right. how do you describe the, okay, let's just take a farm-raised duck. How do you describe the flavor of a farm-raised duck oh, up against, let's just say, traditional beef? That's a that's not a usual like if you how would you describe a chicken? It's the same question of of how do you describe it? When I think about duck, I'm thinking, okay, first of all, it's dark meat. So the whole thing is dark meat. So then if you try to compare it to a chicken, you think, okay, it's got a little of the beefy flavor of a chicken. So if you took chicken and added a little more red blood into it. That would be more close to a duck uh, if you only used a dark meat. You get where I'm going? Yeah. Because it's it's that more, um, I don't want to say it tastes like liver, but it's got that more of that iron kind of flavor in it than it would if it was just a chicken breast or chicken thigh, which is pretty bland as it is. It's got that little more fullness flavor than it would if it if it was just the chicken so i guess that's you know that's a tough tough description no, that's, a good, like, that's a good way to describe it if you if you think about a turkey and you and you're eating the white meat this is going to sound you know kind of hypocritical to my last statement about condiments but me personally when you take a, a, a store-bought turkey at thanksgiving yeah even on a even on a on a wild turkey man it's the the breast meat and the big you know the big long cuts of the big white meat and you got a little skin yeah. on. It. Correct me if I'm wrong or in your opinion, Chef Mark Lindsay, but that's hard to eat a bunch of that if you don't have cranberry sauce and some gravy and taters to mix it with a little bit. I mean it it gets old yeah. quick, right? Yeah, but yeah, but think about it. This the difference is a steak's got char and flavor and some fat in it. Well, that turkey's virtually got no fat in that breast. I mean, there's that. So you're going to have to enhance it with some flavor and stuff like that uh, to do that. Now, obviously, if you're charring them or you're smoking them or you're, you're adding some stuff to that um, or you're deep frying it, it's got that crispy fat from the outside. And that helps you out where you don't need as much. But still, you need some. But uh, the one I hate is when people just like, pour gravy all over it so all you're really tasting is the it's a vessel to get the gravy into your mouth yeah that's all you know it becomes I mean? it's all it becomes yeah. yeah 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 
so I like that. I like that description of the, the, you said iron, like when you see that dark turkey meat, it, now we're starting to move towards waterfowl to where if you, yeah. if you overcook duck meat, it becomes very livery and ironed out. Like it's almost like it, it, it we did goose liver pate. I, I got to tell you this recipe that we did um, in New York. We, we took the Canada geese. We were up there hunting molt migrators. And we took the livers. My friend Joel Cleefish in Wisconsin came up and met us. And he had done this recipe the week before. And we went in and got the livers out of the Canada geese, which is a tough piece of meat anyway right now to, to yeah. even think about eating in a Canada goose. And we tenderized them. We did, we did uh, the food processor. We did all of the garlic and the, and the minced onions and everything that he wanted to put in here. And he formed a pate. You know, he comes from Wisconsin where they got German sausages and pâtés up there a lot. Yeah. I I could barely get through one bite. And I'm a fan of trying everything. And I'm a fan. I eat tongue and, and, or lingua. I, eat, I just had tripe last week in an Italian recipe that blew my mind. I eat the sweetbreads, the thymus glands of a cow yeah. um, a lot. I mean, not a lot, but I wish I could eat them more because they're so good, but they are very unhealthy. Um, but this pâté, Chef Mark, I could not stomach it now is it the way we prepared it i don't think so because it's it was it looked like pate it, it, it was it was it was taken care of the right way but that that texture of that liver and that 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 taste of that liver hit me in a way that regular duck or goose meat does not and i think that if you overcook just the breast of a duck or a goose you're going to get that same experience because of how you just explained it like that it's almost iron. Like it, it just starts getting that dark and it turns into uh, like, like when you're looking at that dark piece of chicken meat or turkey meat, it's that's on its way to becoming that, that high and iron piece of, you know, that bite that's not as enjoyable as, uh, uh, you know, with, with, when it would be medium rare and prepared the right way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of those. It's one of those that you're cooking the legs, you're cooking them to death but you're cooking the breast medium rare. I mean, really, if we're doing it, like, because we're definitely making our legs comfy, which is tough when you're hunting them because there's a lot less meat on a duck leg than there would be if you bought them domestically, right? Yeah. A lot less. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, normally it's, you know, it's the thigh meat that we're that we're after for, for comfy. But normally when I get them, they're like, you know, I only buy legs and thighs for making confit and i get you know they're pretty juicy um what does confit mean confit means it's been cooked in its own fat slowly so uh the easiest way to do it is in a sous vide tank now uh, old school would be that you took the fat off the animal and you rendered it first into a pot by adding a little water to it and then just cook it until it's all fat. Then your your skin would come out of there and then you would put the meat in there and cook that meat continually until it was, so you'd have to be cover it and it'd be very low temperature that you'd be cooking at it and you would just cook it until the meat was super tender, okay? So the sous vide tank, you're pouring the rendered duck fat into the bag with the meat 
and then you're throwing it in the tank for 12 hours. When it comes out, it's been cooked in that duck fat. So it's got all that duck fat permeated inside that meat. And you get all that flavor right inside to, into the meat. And it's just so tender when it comes out. That's what we make poutine out of. So we make our, we have a, a duck poutine that we make. We use the duck confit for that. So the skin is attached to the duck. I'm, I'm just going over a recipe real quick. You take you take your 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 piece of breast with the skin and fat still on it. You put it skin and fat. And I'm just saying, could I do this now? If I'm in camp and I took I out, I wouldn't confit the breast though. You wouldn't confit. You just do the legs. You would let them slow cook in the fat. Yeah, I would do the legs confit, not the breast, because I'm a you know I'm a duck breast guy. So I mean, I I would sous vide that, but only to like 130, 135. The duck confit. I'm, I usually run that at 155, I think, for 12 hours. So that's the one. Like, and you don't have to have the skin on it, or you can have the skin on it when you're confined. As long as you got the fat, you're going to put the fat in it. If you don't have the fat, then you're going to have to skin the duck and render the fat off the duck in order to get the fat. Like I buy so, duck fat separate. So if I had some extra duck skin laying around because I killed all these geese for these ducks, I pluck right. it all. I clean it up really good. I I want to I want to render this down. I'm in a I'm in a yeah. hurry because I want to cook some duck breast that night in its own fat. I'm gonna render this skin and fat down. I'm gonna yep. get I'm gonna get that fat down there. Now the next step in this is I'm I want to strain this a little bit. I'm gonna strain this duck fat to get it a little bit cleaned up. I, I you you know whatever it might be left in it from the cook. You can strain that to where now I just have this puddle. In my in my spoon or a spoonful or a little half cup full of duck fat, yeah. I'm gonna put that on my heat. After I smoke my duck breast to maybe like a hundred degrees, 105 degrees internal temp, I'm gonna come in and I'm going to reverse sear that in that duck fat. I'm gonna heat that duck fat up from below or from yeah. before. Do I add anything to that duck fat to reverse sear that breast? You think? Would you tell me to add a little butter? A little compound butter. What would I do to nope. do? I do I need to because enhance it at all? Once you add the butter, you are lowering the the smoking temperature. So you put True. the if you got the duck fat on the thing and you're heating it up and you throw that butter in there, it's gonna smoke right away. I mean, it's gonna not not help you out any. I I would just be seasoning that animal and then you know a little salt and pepper and then put him right down in that duck fat. It's gonna get a lot of flavor from that. You might put something on the back end of that. If you pulled it out, uh, you could always put like a herb butter or something on it. If you're in a field and you don't have, you don't want to put a sauce or something on it. You know, you could enhance it with it, but I don't think it's going to need it. It's going to be like super flavorful. If you need a juice, I'd put some like pureed berry and uh-uh, I don't want that. I don't want that. So now I got that duck fat sitting in there in my cast yeah. iron. I got my yeah. piece of duck. I got my piece of duck with the skin on. Now I'm searing yeah. it. I'm, I got the skin. I got the the yeah. meat side down. Then I'm going to end it with the skin side down to crisp it up. I'm taking yep. a I'm taking a spoon and I'm taking that duck fat and I'm pouring it over the top. I'm moving yep. my I'm moving my skillet in a way to puddle up the fat. I'm going to get yep. a good spoonful of it. And I'm just going to keep doing that right and pouring it over there yep. so it continues to cook down that flavor in the meat. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Wow. Yeah, nothing like crispy duck, man. Especially in its own fat. Um, God, I, I honestly, I love the idea of wild duck cooked in its own fat, 
you could take strips of it and and every single bite is like what we have talked about earlier in this conversation that toro that fatty yeah. salmon um the 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 idea of duck fat in the i guess it's really popular right now it's become like there's duck fat tortillas there's duck fat french fries there's duck fat tater yeah. tots like it's it's yeah. like you cooking duck fat it's a popular oh. way of of flavoring a lot of oh. traditional dishes now yeah. okay i'm going to blow your mind right now i want you to there's there's this chemical called m-sorbonate uh and you can take duck fat, you put this powdered chemical in the food processor, and you pour some of the duck fat into it, and it'll make it into a powder. So now you have duck fat powder that you can sprinkle on your French fries. No way. Like a duck yeah. fat salt, huh? Yeah. So, yeah, you can make you can make any fat into a powder. So I could take, like, you know, olive oil and make it into a powder or something like that. But, you know, it's the duck, it's the things like that has super flavor, like duck fat. Um, so we were going to do it for an event, but we ended up not doing it because I we were doing something else with the potatoes. But even like roasted redskins with just that duck fat powder on them are phenomenal. Huh. Man, I don't know. I'd probably put it on everything. Like you said, your ice cream. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing about it. You, you know, you start playing with some things that are chemical. So if you go to um, the, the website is called the uh, uh, Modernist Pantry is where I get my chemicals from that I do a lot of other stuff with some of the chemicals. That's what I make cheese sauce with because it holds it together. Um, and if you go to the, that website, they have videos on how to make duck powder or the powder. Um, I believe it's called Enzorbinate. And I thought I had a package here, but I think I, I left it. Insorbent. Yeah. But if uh, if you go to the video on that, you'll, you'll see how simple it is. They put this stuff in a food processor, they pour the oil in, boom, they got they got a powder. So they, they do it like you could do it with peanut butter, you could do it with all sorts of other stuff, fat, into a powder. And so then you're putting that powder on whatever you want. You can enhance your duck at the end of, Oh, I'm going to add, you know, increase my duck flavor. I'm going to add a little duck seasoning to that or the fries that are going with or having on sandwich or whatever you're doing. You know, imagine adding a little duck fat to that turkey sandwich you were talking about earlier. God, dang it, dude. I, I, you did blow my mind because you could do so like I'm picturing like just salad toppings with some like really quick fried onions or something and you pour a little bit of that on there to fry the to, to flavor it with that duck fat flavor or whatever kind of fat you're using like yeah is it healthy i mean is it looked has it been obviously it's usda approved so it's safe yeah and and, and the thing you'd be surprised all the things that that we use chemical and I, what i talked about the cheese sauce what this uh we use a, it's called sodium citrate and it's a natural chemical that's found all over the world um we add that to beer when we make cheese sauce because it renders it to make it a super smooth cheese sauce. So normally if you make a cheese sauce, depending on the type of cheese, it could be grainy. You know what I'm talking about? Like mm -hmm. you melt it down, it's got this grain and it didn't really come together. This will make any cheese sauce you make smooth. So now think about all the cheeses you could get like 
high-end Gouda or a blue cheese or whatever sauce you're making, now it will make that cheese sauce look like it, I hate to say come out of a can, but it's that consistency of smoothness. So that's what we use on our nachos. We add that to our beer. So the only thing in our thing is beer, cheese, and sodium citrate. That's the only thing that's in our cheese sauce. When we make our own, it goes on our nachos because that now I can add any kind of cheese. So I got, at the end of the night, I got all these cheese left over from a function. I could puree them all up and make a sauce out of it. It would be smooth. I'm going to end this podcast like that. I'm going to pick your brain. I want to come back with another episode with Chef Mark Lindsay, Trapper's Landing, Leech Lake, Minnesota. This dude knows how to cook. I'm always intrigued by what he's doing. I want to get more into the, this cheese sauce because this is a big part of, let me, let me say it this way, presentation and flavor profile. I do a lot of nachos. I do a lot of Mexican dishes with wild game. We just aired an episode of The Foul Life where we did mallard duck nachos in Idaho. Part of the problem with nachos is the layering. People forget about the layering aspect of nachos, in my opinion. They put a pile of chips down and then they put all their toppings on. Well, you're totally destroying the bottom layers of those chips because right. you're, you know, you're going to have a whole lot of waste and a whole lot of leftover. Um, if you, we, did a, we did a layered nacho. It almost came out like a seven-layer dip kind of little deal. Right. It's almost yeah. like enchiladas, but it was a layered Canada Goose nacho with pulled Canada Goose that we slow-cooked in the Traeger in a foil tin for seven hours, um, seven hours on low, and then the eighth hour on a higher temperature, pulled apart like pork. I mean, amazing yeah. recipe. Um, but the cheese, when you start layering it, you got your chips down, you put your meat down, you put your cheese. Well, that cheese, if you just use traditional cheese and bake it off or boil it off, it does not do what you need a nacho to do. It's not, it's not that the flavor might not be there, but the, the experience and the bite. I'm all about the it's bite. Hard. Yeah, I'm, I'm hard. All of, it's hard. It gets hard, and it's, it's not a good bite. I, I yeah. have a friend named Ray Particelli. I call him Ray Ray. He owns a store in Napa Valley. I'd like you to look at it today if you have time, Chef Mark yeah. Lindsay. Napa Valley Olive Oil Manufacturing. You can find them online. I believe it's uh, NapaValleyOliveOil.com. They're in Napa, California, in St. Helena, St. Helena, and an amazing family. They're the ones that cooked me the tripe last week with a lot of other unbelievable, authentic Italian bites. But they say, uh, Ray Ray, the dad, he's like, that's a good bite, ain't it? That's, he did this yeah. smoked salmon on this really high-grade uh, Italian cracker with capers and red onions. Yeah. Uh, and a little tiny piece. It wasn't parm. It was like this wine cheese. I can't think of the name. This Italian wine cheese blew my mind. This smokes. And I'm not a huge smoked salmon guy unless it's done really well. Like I'm really critical and picky on smoked right. salmon. So anyway, I'm really interested and fascinated with the bite. I want to come back and let's, let's have, let's, I want you to think about it as we come back into another uh, conversation on the next episode we do with chef Mark Lindsay. I want to talk about, that cheese sauce to start it off because okay. this is a great way to prepare wild game on these type of nachos or a cheese sauce on a chili rayano or on a or on an enchilada or on a tostada. I want to go over that because you just you just you just blew my mind with this whole fat rendering deal and then you know mixing it in to become a powder and a salt. Now I want to go into this cheese sauce yeah. and making the perfect cheese sauce because this is something where people are dropping the ball with adding a little cream to Velveeta and, and they're boiling it and they're stirring it. Yeah. I want to figure out the perfect cheese sauce it's when so we come simple. back. It's I can't so wait. To, 
I can't wait to hear it. Chef Mark leads right. a trapper's landing. This dude can cook his you know what off. I can't wait to get back up there. I'm already excited for next year's event at Reeds. I mean, I, I want to come visit during the ice fishing season, maybe the duck season. This guy can straight out get it done when it comes to flair, when it comes to flavor, when it comes to presentation. There's more to cooking than just getting through that meal. And I know that a lot of us in our mindset is like, let's just eat to get the calories in. But the older I get, as I'm in my mid-40s now, it's about this experience. I want to taste the food. Like when Chef Mark Lindsay prepared his walleye for us with the skin on, it was the best bite of walleye. And I've eaten a lot of fried walleye in Minnesota and Wisconsin. I've had perch. I've had bluegill. I've had so many different forms of fish fries all over the south, all the way up to the where I'm talking about in Wisconsin and Minnesota. He blew my mind with the way he flavored it and the way that the skin added to the overall experience. So we're going to be back with another episode with Chef Mark Lindsay from Trapper's Landing in Leech Lake, Minnesota. Thank you again to the entire family at Reed Sporting Goods. They take such good care of us. I can't wait to get back up in the area. This has been another episode of the Foul Life Podcast brought to you by the Provider Life, brought to you by Trapper's Landing. Any closing words, my man? Uh, no, but we do layer our nachos. So. But with the cheese sauce. It's I can't awesome. wait to hear it. I want, this is a big thing to me because this is becoming one of my go-tos at duck camp because, again, we're killing a lot of birds. We hunt hard, but right. we eat we eat every bird we kill. Yeah. Okay, so there's you got to get creative. I cannot wait to hear Chef Mark Lindsay's layered nacho recipe with his cheese sauce. Chad Belding, Chef Mark Lindsay, the Foul Life Podcast. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for checking out theproviderlife.com. Get all of our dry rubs, our cookbook, the provider cookbook, 264 pages, 80 recipes. It's a hit. We're loving it. We're getting ready to start the process of part two. So be on the lookout for that. In the meantime, check out this song. It's called My Foul Life. This is the rock band, 2 a.m. Logic. Tell me what's